Do you ever get stuck in focusing on what you can't do after your brain injury? You're not alone. My guest today, Carol, talks specifically about how to get through those triggers from your injury, from grief, and how to move through them. Carol Starr is from Maine, and I first met her at our local brain injury conference. Carol is now a national keynote speaker, the author of the award-winning book, To Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury, and the founder facilitator of Brain Injury Voices, a nationally recognized survivor volunteer group. Some key points today is really to find something you're good at, find something that you can do. Carol really goes into depth from her perspective on how to do that. And really find a community of survivors. She says there's such magic when we talk to one another. And lastly, to have strategies for when grief comes up. I'm so excited to share this one with you guys. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hi, Carol. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. It's so great to have you. Uh, I know you from our state, so we're both from the state of Maine. Thanks, Jen. So I'm so glad to be here today. Awesome. So I wanted you to be on the podcast because I heard you actually give a talk at our local brain injury conference. And I think part of that journey was you kind of wanting to be a keynote speaker. So that was yes. one of the one of the reasons why I was like, oh, I have to have her on and talk about maybe part of that journey. So maybe you can start with just sharing with the listeners about, you know, a little snippet about your brain injury and then maybe a little bit about where you are now. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I had my brain injury when I was 32 years old. Um, I had been, I was actually, I was a teacher in my previous life and I was on my way from one teaching job to another when I was broadsided on the driver's side by somebody going about 50 miles an hour. And that is the, the accident that changed my life forever. That's what I got a brain injury from. And my injury is classified as quote mild. I, oh, how I hate that word mild, because as, <laughs> as we yes. know, yes. mild has nothing to do with the, um, the symptoms. I mean, I mean, I've been living with this for nearly 22 years. It was 1999, it was July 6th, 1999 that I had my injury. So nearly it'll be 22 years in just a few weeks. But even though it's I, mild, I almost want to stop you right now. Just, okay. You're digging into the mild. Just, just tell the listeners a little bit about mild TBI and why yes. it's kind of a misnomer. Yes. Because the word mild, all it refers to is how long I was unconscious. I was unconscious just for a brief period of time, maybe a few minutes. And that's all it means. It has nothing to do with the severity of the symptoms. Um, that most people with mild injuries, yes, they do go on to recover probably what 70, like 80, 85%, but majority, there is, yeah. there is a percentage of us that for whatever reasons are left with a lifelong disability. And I am in that percentage. Um, and so now when I, when I tell people I had a brain injury, I just, I don't even say mild anymore because mild, it sets up an expectation in people's heads of no big deal. 
But yet this is an injury that it drastically changed my life. I mean, I went from a, like a young professional building my career to unable to function, to getting lost in familiar places, to unable to teach anymore, to calling my mother from the bread aisle in the grocery store because they were out of the brand I bought and I had no idea what to do. Mm. I stood there for like half an hour, just completely lost, you know, to having, you know, I've had more friends and family have to rescue me because I would get places and get overwhelmed. All things that were just so not who I was in the past. Um, and there was a tremendous grief over, mm. I'm not the person I used to be. I can't do what I used to do. Um, because of brain injury fatigue, I still deal with, with mental fatigue, um, sound sensitivity. I was a musician before. I was a violinist. I was a singer. And because of the sound sensitivity, I mean, there was a time when if a plane would go overhead, I would duck mm. um, because it sounded like it was coming into my house. I have fallen because of sound before, because it overwhelms my system so much. Light sensitivity, difficulties with balance, difficulties with concentration and attention, all of those things that so many of us living with brain injury have to deal with. Um, and it, it changes how we think about ourselves. It changes what we know about ourselves, how we how we react to things. And this brings on a tremendous feeling of grief. It's like, I didn't die. I'm, I'm still here. But yet my sense of self died. And you look in the mirror and you think, who am I? Who am I now? If I can't be who I used to be, who am I now? I know my mother died. It'll be, it'll be 11 years um, this summer. And Honestly, the grief over losing myself for brain injury, it was worse than the grief over losing my mom. Not that the grief over losing my mom wasn't bad. It was. Yeah. But the yeah. grief over losing myself, it was worse. Yeah. I And maybe we can just kind of dig into that a little bit because, you know, I think that, and I told you in the pre-interview that I, I found as a therapist doing this for the last 10 years, working with brain in injury, that I needed to become a grief therapist mm -hmm. and that the loss of self was really so profound and deep that, and I, I don't, you know, I will talk more maybe about ambiguous loss in the context of brain injury. You probably know a lot about mm -hmm. Pauline Voss's yes. research. Yeah. So just talk to me about how, how that loss maybe like in the context of your mother, you're saying this one was way more. So just maybe speak to that a little bit. Because I didn't know who I was because you know, over, over time into adulthood, we build up this idea of who we are as people. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you can't, it's like, you can't count on yourself anymore. You don't know how you're going to react in any given situation. You lose some of your independence. I mean, I had been an independent person you know, and suddenly I was having to call you know, family and friends for help on the most basic of tasks. I mean, I ate cottage cheese. I don't even, I don't even know why cottage cheese, but I ate cottage cheese for dinner most nights because I couldn't figure out what to cook. I'd open the fridge and look and go, oh, that looks confusing. Mm. Um, I still, when I get overwhelmed, out comes the cottage cheese. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know when I when cottage cheese creeps back into my life too much. That's is that like one of those like warning signs that it I'm, is. Pushing, I'm pushing my brain injury symptoms too much or like, yes. yeah, interesting, yes. interesting. Yeah. One of the, pe the people in my life will ask me, all right, how much cottage cheese are you eating, Carol? <laughs> <laughs> then they know, okay, she's doing too much. <laughs> um, and 
so it, it, it does trigger this tremendous sense of, of grief, but yet it's hard to talk about because people say, well, you should be so grateful that, that you survived that accident. You're still here. You're still with us. Mm. And it's hard to explain, especially in the early days, because you don't have any language for it because it's, it's, it's not a kind of grief I had ever experienced before this ambiguous loss, this loss when I, I had grieved before people had died, but I'd never had this kind of grief before. And there were so many times when I thought, I can't do this. I am not strong enough for this. This is going to break me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think this is partly personality. I am, I've always been kind of a type A person. I, I joke that brain injury turned me into more of a type A minus person. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I saw you were like valedictorian and you were, you were was. doing like a whole t- a lot before your brain injury. Mm-hmm. Yes. And every, every therapist that I saw told me that type A people like me had a particularly difficult time accepting brain injury. I feel like I was the poster child <laughs> for that um, because I couldn't see a way to not be the person I was. So I kept trying and trying and trying to get back to who I was. And every time I would try, I'd fail because it was, it was simply too much for me. It was too much for my brain, what I was trying to do. Um, I remember there was one time I was meeting with my counselor. This was like a few years in somewhere in that vicinity. And she said to me, Carol, is it possible for you to accept that you're not going to make a full recovery? And that, that question, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just, I started sobbing. I mean, like the, like the can't catch your breath, like the hysterical kind of sobbing. Yes. I call um, it the ugly cry comes oh, out. Oh, it, it, oh, it was, it was so the ugly cry. Um, but it was a, it was a pivotal moment. It was one of those aha moments when I realized that that old life, it really was over. Mm-hmm. That I had been comparing everything I was doing to the old Carol and she was really gone. That I had to make a pivot. Um, and it was, it was the beginning of, of stepping away from who I was and stepping into who I am now. Um, because I couldn't move towards a new Carol when I was stuck in the model of the old Carol. Um, but it's, it's, it's not easy to get there. It is a, it's definitely, it's a process. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just like a, an overnight light bulb kind of thing. Yeah, but I think having that realization that, you know, I won't be the same person mm-hmm. that I was before this. And that that is a tremendous, I think, moment of just weight of loss that yes. was probably put upon you in, in one moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what's interesting to me is um, my counselor, she came to see a speech that I gave um, somewhere after that. Uh, when I talked about that moment and she said afterwards, she said, Carol, I don't know if you realize, but I have been asking you versions of that question for months and months prior, but it was on that particular day that it, it hit me like that. Cause I wasn't before that, I wasn't ready to completely process that question. So, you know, I think that you just never know, you know, when is going to be the right time for us to hear what we, what it is that we need to hear. And sometimes we need to hear those things over and over and over again, before it's going to be that time when I've progressed far enough in my journey to, to hear it, to let it sink in, to be able to act on it. 
because I, I thought that was fascinating what she said because I had no idea that she'd been saying that to me because it had just gone kind of over my head because I wasn't ready to process it. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense that, you know, being in the right, being in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, my therapist self thinking, having enough resources to be able to say and be comfortable with, yeah, I, I'm not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and it's probably takes a longer time to say, and that's okay. Like the second yes, part. Absolutely. So maybe, maybe talk a little bit about like your journey through acceptance and how, what that looked like for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it started, I think with, I call it this little voice inside me that there was this little voice inside me that was starting to say, make something, which was really weird to me because okay. old Carol was not a person who liked to do things with her hands. So I, I kind of ignored this little voice for quite a long time because it's like, what the heck is that all about? <laughs> I, I don't make things. This is not who I am. But yet there was this voice that said, make something. So eventually I said, well, maybe I, I needed to listen to it because I was getting tired of trying to go back to my old life and failing. It was wearing me down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, then I didn't know, what, didn't know what to make. I went to the craft store once and I got completely overwhelmed. Just puddle of tears. Um, I talked to a friend. And she said, well, try paint by number. I think she said that because her daughters at the time were doing paint by number. <laughs> um, so back to the craft store, I went, I got a paint by number. And that was something that was simple. It was this little son. I could actually do that. Hmm. And at the time, I could only work on that for about 15 minutes at a time. But I'd be so tired. I'd have to, have to take a nap and I'd have to rest afterwards. But it was the first thing that I had tried that I actually had success at because everything else I had been trying so hard to go back to my old life. I just failed at because it was too much. Here was something small that I could be successful at. I liked seeing the colors come together. Like I, I, could, I could see that as I worked, I could work at it longer over time. I could see my attention was getting better. My concentration was getting better. And that, that feeling of success, that was addictive to me. Mm-hmm. That was like, I wanted more success um, because I, I felt like I'd been without it for so long, you know, for, by, by that point, by, for years, I've been at, without that feeling of accomplishing something. Um, and when I finished that paint by number, it's like, well, what else can I try? So I, I got into jewelry making, I've done cross-stitching, I've done photography. And then that led to um, the rehab hospital where I had my treatment. Um, they noticed that the jewelry said, so, well, maybe you could teach other brain injury survivors how to make jewelry. Cause I knew that I'd been a teacher and that yeah. gave me an, an opportunity to, to use the skills I still have as a teacher to just use them in a different way. Cause I can't teach in the way that I used to. That's that, that is gone forever, but I'm a teacher at my very core. It's just, mm-hmm. it is just who I am. And this gave me that opportunity to, to be that person again, to teach something, um, they had a, they, they gave me a little space in the, the little kiosk where I could sell my jewelry and people actually bought it. And that was like, it was, that was so rewarding to me. And I started to feel like I'm not just a professional patient that maybe I have something to offer the world that I am not just this endless bucket of need where people always have to help me that people started to ask me, well, could you make something for me? I started making gifts for people. And it was this process of finding out who am I now 
as a brain injury survivor. Um, and the more crafts I did then um, at the main brain injury conference, way, way back in 2003, <laughs> I was invited to, uh, they were doing a workshop on creativity. And I was, in, I was invited to have a little table where I could display my crafts. They said, we, we'd like you to do a little talk, like all of like five minutes long. And that was my first opportunity to speak publicly about the brain injury. Oh, I was so nervous. I think I got up there. I mean, my, my knees like were shaking the entire time I was up there. I was really glad I was behind a podium so nobody could see my, knee, my knees shaking. But when I got up there and I spoke, even though I was so nervous, I had this overwhelming feeling of I'm home. Yeah. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is where I'm supposed to be. And it, it was at that conference. My, my, my mother went with me because at that point I couldn't do these things alone. She sat at the table with me. Um, and my mentor, Bev Bryant, she was giving the keynote. Um, mm. And I, I watched her like stride across the stage talking. And I was mesmerized. <laughs> like, look what another survived. Well, look what, what somebody could do. You know, could I, like, could I do that? I, I didn't see any way at that point how I could ever do that. But a seed was planted. Um, and I knew from that moment that I wanted to be Bev. I wanted to, you know, she'd written books. She'd done speeches. Um, and I remember over time, you talking, I remember you talking about her and, and when mm -hmm. you when I heard you speak Yes, and you were just, I, you kind of gave her a big nod in that talk. I don't remember quite, it was like six years ago when you, when <laughs> I was in the room with you. Uh, but I just remember that she was a, much a part of that. Yes. Yes. You know, and I think that that is one of the pieces of acceptance especially as, as survivors is being able to connect with other survivors that, you know, I gained so much, you know, being mentored by Bev. And now that I'm a long-term survivor, I mentor other people like through the support group, you know, that, that I co-lead with other members of my, my um, volunteer group, Brain Injury Voices, that when we can connect as other survivors, because it's so hard to explain this injury to other people that, Sometimes some of the symptoms we talk about, people say, well, that happens to me too. No. <laughs> Not quite. Like, you know, I, I still have mental fatigue. I get tired every single day. I nap every single day. It is just part of, of what I live with. Um, you know, and people will say, oh, geez, I wish I could take a nap every day. It's like, no, you really don't. Right. Might, the idea of it might sound nice. Trust me, the practice is not so fun every single day. You know, I got a few good hours in a day and that's it. Then the fog rolls in and my day is done. Mm -hmm. um, but being able to connect with others who share the journey to know that we're not losing our minds, that what we're, go what we're experiencing is, is indeed brain injury. It is part of the thing and we can help each other along the path. So I think that's a really important part of acceptance is being able to connect with others. And I think we need our therapists, especially to help us with that piece, especially in the beginning, because it's a, it's a big deal to walk into a brain injury support group. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do. I know um, I went to one first, it was a room full of people crying and I like, I never went back. It was too much for me. Like I can't, I could barely deal with my own emotions, much less anybody oh, else's. Wow. But then I went with, with a therapist to another one. And this one had a more positive focus. Not that it didn't start with talk about hard things, but with more of a strategy, you know, focus. Um, I'm now one of the one of the facilitators of that group. Um, but yeah, I, I never would have gone. I never would have gone if the therapist hadn't 
gone with me, hadn't made that bridge, helped get over that hump. Because, you know, the way I think about it now is that, you know, our time with our therapist is brief. It's probably going to end too soon just because of the realities of insurance these days. And, but, you know, things like support groups and mentoring, those things can last much longer. Um, and that when our therapist can help us to get to those pieces, it's such a, it's such a tremendous gift. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking as, you know, I'm a therapist. So, um, and you, were you talking about a mental health therapist or like a OT or speech um, therapist? There was a recreation therapist who helped me get to the support group. Awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I kind of see this in my work with, with folks around getting into the community. That's always one of my goals mm-hmm. for my, my therapy clients is to get them connected with other survivors. But I think mm-hmm. there, there is a hesitancy that I yes. find because number one, I think finding the group seems overwhelming to them. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, now I have to figure something else out. So mm-hmm. I think right. the bridge that you're talking about of having someone go with them um, and so maybe I'm even thinking as a therapist, like maybe forging more relationships with mentors like yourself, you know, mm-hmm. or other people that are in their community that can say mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, call Carol, she'll go with, she'll, she'll go with you or, you know, call Bill down in South Portland or wherever, you know, people mm-hmm. are located. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point that there probably needs to be a bridge for most yes. people. Because, you know, in those early times, it is, it, it's so overwhelming because there's so much of life is overwhelming and it can feel like just one more thing. And you don't even know at the beginning how, how beneficial it can be because you just don't, you don't know what you don't know. Yes. Um, and people say, Oh yes, you should go to a support group, but unless you ha- if you've been to one and to know the, the value, then, uh, then it's, it's just not something that might not seem as important as other things. Um, but you know, in the support group that we, that I lead, I mean, we see such growth in, in folks. It's remarkable, like over, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me maybe a little bit of a story or not, maybe not of one person if, you know, but maybe just like a journey of seeing like a person come in and like what they gain from, from coming to a, a group that you run. We see people who come in and they're angry, um, that, that this happened to them, that they can't get better. Um, then, and over time to, to finding acceptance, to finding new ways to be in the world, to taking, to trying new activities, um, to coming into themselves to say, oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And people kind of will come and report on, on what they've done, share, you know, share their successes, um, See, we see people try things that they haven't tried before, um, knowing that they have the support of the group, that they can, mm-hmm. there's a place to come and talk about, you know, all of, all of that. Um, we talk about how, like, early on in the journey, it's all about how much, how different we are. But eventually we accept you can, how di- the, the changes and then it becomes about how we're the same. Um, for example, like, you know, there's a lot of ways I'm very different, but I'm still a teacher. I've just found mm. a new way to teach. And so we watch people on that journey of, of kind of coming to terms with the, the changes and then 
folks who are teachers finding new ways to teach, people who are business people finding new ways to be in business, finding new ways to um, to spend time with family, new ways to make art, whatever it, whatever it might be. Um, but trying to get and you know figure out what in that person is still the same. I, I, the imagery that comes to me is like, um, we talk about the butterfly, I think a lot in brain injury, but mm. the caterpillar and the butterfly and that journey, but the ca- the butterfly and the caterpillar are still the same creature, even though they're very, mm-hmm. very different. And so that's why I think it's a cliche kind of to say like, you know, spread your wings like a butterfly, but not thinking about the cocoon and the darkness of the time yes. that it takes for that transformation to, to really happen. Yes. Right. And basically the, 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 the caterpillar turns into goo. <laughs> before it turns to the butterfly and and that's kind of what happens to us we turn into goo (laughs) (laughs) that is great imagery because I feel like a lot of brain injury survivors would so identify with that because they often my brain is they'll tell me my brain is mush I'm the fog yes 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 um and the the goo is part of it and I think we all go, we, we do that caterpillar butterfly thing kind of over and over again. Um, yeah. Makes sense. And that's, and that's okay. And learning to look at life as the caterpillar or as the butterfly, when it, when is it necessarily better than the other? My old life wasn't necessarily better than this one. It's just different. And it took a I long time that. for me to, to come to, to, to believe that, that, that that my own new life life now isn't ruined mm, it's yes. it's it's just different than it was before mm. um that i still lead i lead a good life it is very different do i have i live with limitations every day do i like the limitations heck no do i wish i didn't have them <laughs> i definitely wish i didn't have them but i can still work with what I can do. And I think that's a big focus like of our, of our support group of, of what I've learned from, you know, various therapists like yourself um, is, you know, focusing what I can do because the more that I focus on what I couldn't do, the worse I felt about myself. Yeah. It was when I focus on, well, what can I do? Where's my power? Because when I focus on what I can't do, I've lost all my power. Mm-hmm. But when I say, well, what can I do? I don't, doesn't matter how small it is you know, paint by number for 15 minutes. That's what I could do. I mean, cause I draw a straight line from that thing to the fact that I'm talking to you today. Um, because awesome. it's, it, it's, that, you know, that focusing on, on, on the things that we can do. And in the support group, we are very much a, what can we do? What strategies? Yes. We're a room full of people who've had crappy things or now a zoom full of people um, <laughs> that have had, you know, crappy things happen to us. And we honor that. We talk about that. But then the next step is, well, okay, yes, brain injury sucks. No question about it. That's a given. Now what? Do we get lost in the fact that it sucks? Or do we say, okay, what do we do? How do we move forward with what is? Um, Yeah, thanks. So I'm wondering if we can transition a little bit to talking about like three tips or insights or tools that someone might be listening to could take with them today from your own journey and experience? Mm -hmm. I think one is to 
find something for a survivor to find something that you're good at, to find something that you can do, just like what we were talking about, um, that I really date my acceptance journey, my journey through the grief to that paint by number. So finding something that you can do, something that you enjoy doing, something that doesn't trigger the grief. I, I know so many people who have found their way back through artistic activities, yes. crafts, music, right? Whatever it is that's, that, that somebody finds um, joy in. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so I think that would be one tip. Um, another one would be, another one we've also, we already kind of talked about is finding a community, being, finding, having other survivors to talk to because there is such magic when we talk to one another and such gains that can be made from having a community of other survivors to talk to. Mm-hmm. And the third one would be having strategies for when the grief comes up, because no matter how far out you are, that grief, it's always going to be there. Um, I mean, I am 22 years out and I still, there are times when I still feel the grief. I mean, it's just like, it's just kind of like the grief after somebody dies. Yes. The, the, at first it's the gaping hole. It takes very little to like fall into that gaping hole. Over time, the hole gets smaller, but it's still there. It's the same thing with brain injury. Over time, that gaping hole can get smaller, but yet it's going to—it's still going to be there. So, having strategies. For example, um, one time that grief can get triggered is around anniversary day. Yes. That your mind is coming up in just a few weeks, and for years, basically every June would really be awful because I would be thinking. What was I doing in June a year ago, two years ago, five years ago? I'd think about what life had been like in the in the you know days and weeks just before my accident, um, before life changed you know forever, and it would just bring back all of that grief that I thought I'd processed, but it would be so raw again around the anniversary time. Mm-hmm. And then I came up with a str- eventually came up with a strategy of you know what I got a new life on July sixth, nineteen ninety nine. It's it's kind of like a it's, it's like a birthday. I got I got born again. Um, <laughs> so let's let's honor that as a rebirth day. And because I got a new life, I am going to honor it by doing something new, something I've never done before. So July sixth has become a day when I do something I've never done before. Can be very simple. First year I did this. I mean, I went to a restaurant I'd never been to before with friends. I ordered a dish I'd never eaten before just really simple. Um, it's a day when I think about how far I've come, not where I was before the accident, but how far I've come because that's the only measuring stick that matters that who I was before doesn't really matter anymore, but how far I've come since July 6th, 1999, that matters. And so, so that day that's, that's a, a strategy for, for coping when, when grief, when that grief arises on that, that day. Um, and and not not and realizing that when those triggers come up, it's okay. That it's it's pretty. I think it's pretty normal to have those those triggers, but then to to work on strategies for them. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all of that is just so valuable. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for yes. sharing all of that. I think all the listeners who are going to hear this are, are going to take a lot out of that. Wonderful. So we're going to quick fire. <laughs> I want to talk to you forever. 
<laughs> but our time is, is winding down. So maybe if you could share quickly, what is one habit or routine that helps you in your recovery, either now or any point in your journey? One habit that helps me is because my big, biggest symptom was still is, is the mental fatigue. Mm-hmm. I get tired every single day. And on my, so on my calendar, I, I put in my rest times are in my schedule because so that I can't, because it, it is, it is non-negotiable that I mm-hmm. have to rest every day. So by putting it into my calendar, it, I can't schedule anything like around, I can't schedule anything in that time. I know that this is something that is important to do. It means that I don't try and fill up the day with, with other things. Um, that because getting that rest, that brain rest that I need, because if I don't get that, everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, then the cottage falls, cheese. Falls oh, it falls apart. Yeah. Quickly, <laughs> dramatically, um, in, an, in an ugly kind of way. <laughs> I was making a non-cottage cheese again. That's what like the cottage cheese is, is the yardstick, you know? That, yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. Basically, yes. when I, when I lose control of my cooking, um, it means that I am out in the world too much, that I'm trying to do too many things, more than my brain can really do. Um, and that's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a funny way, um, of, of, of judging. Um, yeah, but I think that's, I think that's good. And, you know, I, I always encourage any client that I work with brain injury or not to think about like, what are those self-care non-negotiables that you have? And especially for my clients with brain injury, those really become super non-negotiable. And I think yes. your, your, whatever occupational therapist you worked with in the past would be so proud of you mm-hmm. blocking your schedule for rest times because the pacing and all that stuff, um, my OT friends just, you know, that's their, that's what they'd love to talk about. Yes. Uh-huh. So moving on, what is, this is a fun question. What mm-hmm. is your favorite holiday food and who does it remind you of? Well, one of my favorites is it's going to sound weird is cheese ball. <laughs> so I talked about how my mother has passed away, but she would make this cheese ball. It is basically, it's, it's this like whole compilation of cheeses. You put all and you mix it all together and you wrap, you know, kind of um, form it into a ball, right. You know, cover it in nuts. And, um, you know, she would make it every holiday and I, I make it. And my, my father loves it. So he always requests that I, that I make the cheese ball. Um, and, and it has, it has fun memories because it calls for a little bit of blue cheese. My father likes a lot of blue cheese. So have to add, add extra blue cheese. Um, I like those, those things that remind those recipes that remind me of family. Mm-hmm. Um, and also they are simple because I'm not that good a cook. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a simple cheese recipe from my, like, I hadn't really thought about this, but I haven't had it in a while, but my family, we have cream cheese and pepper jelly on holidays. And so it's just, mm-hmm. you put the cream cheese down and you just pour the pepper jelly on top and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Super simple. Maybe I'm going to link that in the show notes. Because <laughs> 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 I've made that before. If you, maybe you can give us your cheese ball recipe. I'll totally put that on there. <laughs> yes. It, it came from a cookbook, an old, like old style cookbook that my, that my mother used to use that I, that I, you know, that I now have. And it just, it has nice connotations. It's a, it's a recipe that my grandmother used to make too. Um, so I, I, I like history. Um, you know, I'm, I am the family genealogist. So it, I like all those things that, that connect 
to the past? Yeah. And that's why I think I love this question because I think food is, is part of our connecting, right? It's yes. part of how we connect in, mm-hmm. um, to our families and to others. Mm-hmm. So my last question is, what is one thing you would tell your younger self if you could at any point in your life? I think one thing I would tell my younger brain injury self, that, that self I was, you know, in the early years post brain injury is believe that it's going to get better. Believe that where you are now is not where you're going to be, you know, one year, two years, five years, 10 years from now. Because when it's, when it's so awful in those early years, it can seem like it's always going to be exactly like this. But I mean, I, I, I look, I mean, I'm nearly 22 years out. I mean, I look at where I have come from, you know, 15 minutes is all I could do on a paint by number to where I am now, you know, as a, as a speaker, as an author that I could not have imagined that in the early years. So believing in there is a path, there is a path forward, even if you can't see it, but believe in the path. It doesn't matter if you don't know what it is, Mm. Um, but believe that there will be a path that if you take one small step at a time, that you will find your way. And I, and I was so deep in the grief early on that it was hard to see that. And I think that's a, I, I hope, I think that's a lesson that I have learned well enough now that I believe it even when other things go wrong in life now that like, you know what? I have, I still live with a disability, but I have come through the grief. The hardest thing I've ever done was coming through that grief, which gives me a lot of confidence in my ability to come through other things. Um, I didn't know that about myself before. Mm. So I like to think that that will translate into other, other hard times, you know, in life. Wonderful. I think that people are going to want to reach out to you, Carol, because you offer so much hope and inspiration. Uh, so where can people connect with you? Um, through my, my, my website, which is um, starspeakerauthor.com. Awesome. Yeah. And pick up your, I really enjoyed your book. So Thank you. I have more to listen to you about from what I have listened to. It is absolutely wonderful. Yes. Cause I, I you know, I wanted to, I wanted to write about acceptance because I had such a hard time accepting my own brain injury that I wanted to to help other survivors who are on that path, who are trying to, to come to terms with this. I wanted to use what I'd been through to make a difference for others. Awesome. And is your, is your support group open to people outside of Maine or is that just Maine folks? Um, we're, we've been on Zoom. What I've tried to do is to keep us still concentrated in the greater Portland area because we we eventually will go back to in-person and I don't want people to then be left hanging like, well, okay. Uh, yeah. I joined from, you know, Vermont or you know, California or wherever, but now they're back in person and now I have no more group. Um, but there is a, there is a statewide um, brain injury support group um, mm-hmm. that is, that's, um, that's virtual that anybody in the whole state of Maine, you know, can, can join um, by reaching out to the brain injury association of Maine oh, um, to, to get on, to get on that list. I'm actually one of the co-facilitators of that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
And they're on, on the on the Brain Injury Association main website. There's a list of all the support groups in the state. There are, I think, 15, 17, 15 or 18, some, something like that um, of them now. So there are, um, you know, most are, are on Zoom these days uh, yes. or some, some other platform. Um, but gradually, you know, we hope to to be able to meet in person again. It's a, you know, it's a process given, given the pandemic. Oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm very grateful that we've been able to, um, to, to still do zoom and to, to be able to offer support to one another um, through this time. Yes. So important. Well, I thank you for joining me on the podcast today. And I know that I'll see you in the future. Yes. Thanks again. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 